You'll find the scripture tonight in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. And I do want to say that it is my privilege to be a part of these services. And I know that there are many Baptist preachers Brother David could have asked to come. And I always say that because it's, it's uh, what I feel in my heart. And yet I'm honored that he has given me this privilege to be a part of this meeting. Thank you for the wonderful songs we've heard, those that sang. And I certainly appreciate the message, Brother Scott. God might have saved him or prevented him from being a farmer, but he sure knows how to deliver me to the Word, from the Word. And we praise God tonight for that message. And, And it spoke to my heart as well. It's always a wonderful thing when God in mercy and grace speaks to our heart from His Word through His servant. And I do appreciate this dear man of God, Brother David. Thank God for young men whose uh, hearts burn for God and for the gospel. And I'm grateful just to be asked to be a part of these services. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples... And a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. We just heard that. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Let's bow our heads again, please, while we pray. Our Father, we bow in your presence. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me of every sin, every word, everything about me that's displeasing to thy sight. I pray that you'll cleanse me of it. Thou said that you cannot and will not hear us if we regard iniquity in our heart. Thank you for this day, for the blessings of it. Thank you for this service, for the songs that have been sung. They've lifted up our hearts in praise and worship to our God. Thank you for the word that we've just heard. And thank you for the faithfulness of thy servant. I thank you for speaking to my own heart through the message. I pray now, Lord, that you'll be pleased to touch thy servant again. I pray for that special anointing. Illuminate my mind and loose my tongue. And may the gospel go forth in its power. Should there be those among us that are strangers to your grace, I pray that this will be the hour of salvation. Revive those of us that are saved. And when we leave tonight, may we be aware that God has spoken to us and that God has said something to our hearts. We love you because you first loved us and gave yourself for us. In the name of our blessed, blood-stained Redeemer, 
I pray, amen. I want to speak to you tonight briefly as we look at these verses that I've read from Mark chapter 10 about Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. Three things especially about him, his night, his fight, his sight. It was the providence of God that brought Bartimaeus to Jericho and grace brought Jesus to Bartimaeus. Jesus may pass through a town, through a community, and individuals remain lost. But for that one that does cry for mercy and grace, there's salvation and deliverance from spiritual blindness to spiritual light. Fanny Crosby wrote, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, while on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. And so you know his night, his condition. He was blind physically. And even worse than being blind physically, and I'm sure that it must be a terrible thing to be unable to see with the natural eyes. And I can't imagine what it would be to live in a world of darkness. But as great, as terrible, as horrible as that would be, spiritual blindness is even greater. Fanny Crosby, Fanny Crosby again, the great blind hymn writer, who was blinded when just a child by a quack doctor. And as by placing a mustard roll on her eyes, he caused her to be blinded for the rest of her life. Many years later, when Fanny Crosby was being interviewed by a newspaper reporter, that reporter asked Miss Crosby this question, If you could have one wish granted, what would it be? He was getting ready to write down that I might receive my sight. But to his astonishment, she replied, that I might remain blind. For the first face I shall ever behold will be the face of my Lord. And of course, it was Fanny Crosby who wrote, Face to face with Christ my Savior, what will it be? And so out it's a tragedy to be blind physically. It is even a greater tragedy to be blind spiritually. First Corinthians tells us that the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. The Bible declares in the fourth verse of the tenth, of the eleventh verse of the second chapter, First Corinthians. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. The apostles say that in order to understand, understand a human life, you must be human. In order to understand spiritual life, you must be spiritual. And apart from the spiritual birth, the things of God will always remain a mystery. And the things of God will mean absolutely nothing. And he says in the 11th verse, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now the characteristic 
expression of a blind person is, I can't see. I don't see. Have you ever met anybody who says, I don't see any need in reading the Bible? And so they don't read it. I don't see any need in tithing. And I don't see any need in this or that. And they're exactly right. Except a man be born again. He cannot see. And the things of God will remain foolishness and a mystery to that person who is spiritually blind. John Newton correctly wrote, I once was blind, but now I see. And then because of this condition of this man, life was very perilous and life was dangerous. And he was a beggar as a result of it. Now, of course, in those days, there was no kind of physical financial assistance given to those that, uh, uh, that uh, suffered handicaps as blindness. And he had to completely depend on the mercy of those that were around him. Imagine this man day after day, day in, day out, sitting by a dusty roadside, begging to live or just to survive. And I remind you that the sinner as well is without peace and was without comfort in this world. But Paul said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. He was a beggar. And he was also, that was his condition. And then I imagine his concern. Now I'm sure that this blind man must have heard of Jesus of Nazareth. And I'm sure that he must have heard what Jesus had done and what the miracle that he performed just up the hillside, just up the mountain. Up at a place called Bethany, about a man by the name of Lazarus, who had been dead four days, placed in the tomb. How did Jesus stepped up to the entrance of that tomb? Lazarus, lying and in that cold, hewn-out sepulcher, hearing Jesus call his name, came hopping up out of the grave, mortuary apparel and all. I don't know if he hopped or he floated or how he got out. He was all bound up with the napkins of death, but anyhow he got out. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And I'm sure that he heard the mighty miracles that Jesus of Nazareth had been performing. And then I think he determined in his heart, if this stranger of Galilee ever comes near me, if he ever comes by where I am, I'm going to ask for my sight. He determined and set up a courtroom in his own heart, determined his condition, and decided to call out for the mercy of the Lord when he passed by. And so we think about his night and then his fight. Now there's always a struggle. There's always a battle. When the devil is about to lose a soul. Sometimes people say, 
Well, I, I just wouldn't want to be a part of a church that had any battles, that had any struggles. And I'm certainly not advocating battles. They come plenty enough without looking for them. But after all, who'd want to be a part of something so sorry the devil wouldn't fight? You can rest assured when the people of God say, let us arise. The devil says, let me oppose. And there's always a struggle. And sometimes before a sinner is converted, a sinner is saved, they get meaner, more wicked, more contrary than ever before. There's always a battle and always a struggle where the devil is about to have to surrender one of his helpless victims. But then, as we think about his fight, you notice his cry. One day something happened. He never did think would happen. He hears the noise of a crowd, the tramping of feet, and he discovered to his astonishment that Jesus of Nazareth is passing through Jericho. Now I can imagine Bartimaeus trying to find someone to take him to Jesus. But after all, who'd want to assist this poor blind man on such a trip? Who'd want to take the time and take the trouble to get this poor blind man to Jesus? But one day, something wonderful happens. He discovers that when he cannot get to Jesus, that Jesus is coming to him. And that's the way he always comes. If you sought him, it's because he sought you. He drew me, and I followed on. Turn to confess that voice divine. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. When we cannot get to him, he came to us. He reached down in mercy and in grace. He cried for the right thing. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, we must act upon what we receive. If God gives you any light, then we have to act on it. And like part of mess, who had already determined that if Jesus passed by, he would call on him. Now, if you turn, if a person turns from darkness, turns from light, rather, there's nowhere to go but in the greater darkness. And if you turn away from Christ, who is the light of the world, that's complete darkness. When I was in high school, there was a young man that sat behind me. I was a mean, mean boy. Mean. And one day I felt strangely and strongly impressed of the Lord to witness to him. Ask him about his soul. And ask him if he was saved, if he was a Christian. And tried to present the best I knew how. And you know what he said to me? If you ever talk to me about that again, I'll cut your guts out. I never did talk to him again. <laughs> After we were out of high school, right in the middle of our little town, he abducted one of the young ladies who was in our same class, took her out into a wooden, wooded area, raped her and murdered her. And one of the detectives later told me that he literally mauled her body 
like a wild animal. And some years ago, he died in state prison in our state. I'm not saying, of course, if you reject light, that you'll become a murderer or that you'll become a, a criminal. But I am saying if you reject light, there's nowhere to go but in the darkness. If you flee from Jesus Christ, then there's nowhere to go but in the arms of the devil. If you refuse to march toward the city for a square, it is everlasting fire forever and forever without Christ. He cried for the right thing. And then you'll know, he cried to the right one. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There's only one who is mighty to save. Who is this that cometh from Edom, Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, who sought the wine, press alone, and has made salvation not only possible, but probable and certain through His blood. I'm sure I've probably told this here before, but, but I'd like to hear it myself. There was a Native American out in Oklahoma, and uh, his, one of his dearest friends was saved, converted. And his friend was trying to talk to his lost friend and tell him, explain to him how the Lord saved him. And his skeptical friend said, tell me, just how did the Lord save you? And that, uh, that young man gathered up a bunch of leaves and formed a circle and then set those leaves on fire, and then found a little grub worm, and placed that worm in the middle of that burning ring of fire. The little worm crawling toward the north, the south, east and west direction, couldn't find a way out, and finally unable to escape. That little worm just crawled up in the center of that burning ring of fire, getting ready to die. But about that time, that dear brother reached down, lifted that worm up, and set it free. And he said to his skeptical friend, that's how the Lord saved me. I was headed to the fire. I couldn't get to him, but he came to me, lifted me up, and set me free. Bartimaeus cried for the right thing. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And that's all a sinner can do is ask for mercy. He not only cried at the right time and for the right thing, but he cried to the right one. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All the rituals of religion can't do it. All that Good, oozy, warm, feeling religion can't do it. There is only one who is mighty to save, who can deliver you from the bondage of sin. Jesus Christ, God's Son. His name should be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation. Christ, Christ Jesus 
came to the world to save sinners. That's why I came. And that's why I died. He cried to the right one. He cried at the right time while Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now the idea that a person can be saved just whenever they take an ocean has no scriptural basis whatsoever. Jesus said, no man can come unto me except my Father which has sent me shall draw him. And unless he, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, draws us, we would continue on in our darkness and in our rebellion. Jesus was on his last journey, hurrying on to drink and to drain the cup of bitterness, to be mocked, to be spit upon, to be nailed to a cross, and to pay the debt of sin, and it becomes God's sacrifice for our sin. But with all the urgency of the hour on him, he took time to stand still and call this poor blind man. Joshua prayed in the valley of Ashelon for the sun in the skies, the sky to stand still. But Bartimaeus cried for the Son of God to stand still. And Jesus stood still and heard his cry. His call, his night, his fight, his sight. Now when Jesus, when this blind man called at first, the Lord did not stop. Of course he heard him the first time. And so Bartimaeus kept crying until Jesus, until Jesus stopped and heard his cry. But when Jesus kept walking and blind man had, the blind man had called for the Savior and the Lord continued to, to walk, that other, that religious crowd, they were too busy running religion, too busy enjoying all their good religion, running the mechanic of religion to stop and to hear the cry of this blind man. And they said, be quiet. He has no time for you. Shut up, old man, I can hear him say. He has no time for you. But the blind man kept crying, Jesus. They said, shut up. But he cried louder, Jesus, shut up. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they said, shut up. He don't have time for you. But suddenly, when Jesus stopped and stood still, you know what that lousy gang did? That bunch of hypocrites, just a moment before, who had tried to silence him, who tried to shut him up, said, Be of good cheer. Rise, he calleth thee. Now Bartimaeus didn't say, You bunch of hypocrites. While ago you told me to shut up, and now you tell me to cheer up. I think I'll just remain blind. You're all a bunch of hypocrites, the whole crowd, I'll just remain blind. Didn't make any difference to Bartimaeus. Hypocrites or no hypocrites. All that mattered was that Jesus of Nazareth was calling him. And I'm convinced when you see yourself as a sinner in sin and desperate for your salvation, there won't be a preacher crooked enough, 
a deacon mean enough, a church member low down enough to stop you from getting to God. All that will matter is that you get to Jesus. And then Jesus stopped and heard his cry. You know that he cast aside his garment. Name I'd have gotten that garment out twice somewhere. But it represented his character. It represented all of his possessions and all and who he was. But he cast it aside as if it were nothing and came to Jesus. And truly there's nothing in this world that's rather, that's, that, is, that is better than having than Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'd rather have Jesus than anything we heard. Anything that this world can afford. It's in Texas not long ago, and a dear friend of mine was singing one night. He was was born in Brazil, raised in Brazil. And he's a native now of of Texas, but he was singing that night. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. And that's true of all of us tonight. We'd rather have Jesus than anything this whole world affords than to be the king of a vast domain and be held by sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Christ. And he said, Jesus said, What will thou that I do for thee? And the blind man said, That I might receive my sight. And he received his sight. And then verse 52 said, Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Jesus said, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. But Bartimaeus said, Lord, I'm not letting you out of my sight. And the Bible said that he followed Jesus out of Jericho. Now, of course, as you that have been to Jericho and, and uh, studied maps, no, Jericho is beside the Dead Sea, the lowest spot on planet Earth. And it does represent the city that is under curse. Though there is a newer Jericho that's been built thousands of years, the old Jericho that the walls that fell when, when Joshua and his armies compassed the city has never been rebuilt. And the only way to get to Jerusalem, the only way to get up to Mount Zion is to go up. Doesn't matter if you enter from the north, south, east, or west. If you go up to Jerusalem, you're going to have to go up. I remember once many years ago, one Christmas Eve day, the day of Christmas Eve, we were in Jericho, and it was 90 degrees. And by the time we got to Jerusalem, it was snowing and sleeting. And in reality, I think Bartimaeus was saying, I'm, I'm following you. I'm no longer under the city, belong to the city under a curse. I'm following you up to the heavenly Jerusalem, up to Mount Zion. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of the living God. 
And I'm not trying to be picky. It's a good song, beautiful song on the Jericho Road. But Brother Burns, really, I'm not on the Jericho Road anymore. I'm on the Jerusalem Road. I'm headed up to Mount Zion. I've come to the city of the living God, the innumerable company of angels, that the spirits are justified, men made perfect. I've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. His night, his fight, and his sight.